Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about two best friends who want to have their wedding at the New York Plaza, but due to a clerical error, they are double booked on the same day. With neither of them refusing to back down, things turn bitter, with both attempting to sabotage the other's plans. However, the experience also enables them to learn so much about themselves. The shy one becomes more confident, the bossy one becomes more sensitive, and eventually everything resolves itself in a satisfying but dull fashion. What a beautiful podcast. Oh wait, that's not that... what? That's actually the plot <laughs> of the 2009 film, Bride Wars! It's actually a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Dan Moran, and joining me is my illustrious co-host, Sam Foster. This time on Film Chat, Danny and I discuss The Duke of Burgundy, a sexy film about bondage that's not afraid to confuse and disappoint fans of Fifty Shades of Grey. Danny also reviews the Joss Whedon side project In Your Eyes, which was released on iTunes last year. Plus, we pick over Sunday's Oscar ceremony, wonder why I haven't been cast as the main character in Oliver Stone's Edward Snowden film, and discuss whether Boyd Hilton does or does not resemble the clone of a bellend. All that and not much more! Correspondence. An uh, astonishing amount of unsolicited letters we received. Incredible, incredible. Um, this week. Starts off, Stella Ramson asks, who is the Beyoncé of film? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Um, who is... I can't tell you how many Gawker articles I've read asking that exact question. Well, what qualities define Beyoncé, and who has that in the film industry? I think uh, jelly for which people are not ready. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> jelly that's ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, groundbreaking jelly. I don't know, you know, being, you know, bestriding the world of whatever industry they're in, like a colossus. Right. Meryl Streep? Yeah, maybe. Streep? I was um, thinking, this is my logic, right? Because she was in Destiny's Child, and then, like, but she segued into this successful solo career. Mm. So Gosling was on the Disney Channel as, like, a kid, successful as a kid segued into being a proper adult actor man. Right, it's a good point. Yeah, maybe maybe he is. I mean, I think maybe the Beyonce of, Beyonce of film is the one who's going to appear in a stadium and drive, you know, everyone insane. You yeah. know, who's that going to be? And maybe that would be Gosling. Yeah. Or Mel Gibson? Yes. 
<laughs> That's the other obvious choice. Mel Gibson, especially now. Especially now. Yeah, a man whose star has risen and risen. Yes. Um, Stella also asks, sometimes I feel like actors I like have sort of disappeared, like Susan Sarandon. And why does everybody like Judy Dench so much? And why was she never young? Okay, that's three different, completely different questions there. So First break, of all, break it down. <laughs> has Susan Sarandon disappeared, Danny? Yes. Yes, she has. Um, no one she's knows, gone. No one knows where she is. Yeah. She was in... What's the last film she was in? I don't know. It's a good point, Stella. She was in 30 Rock. Cameo doing 30 Rock. She was in that Mother Lovers song, right? Yes. With Justin Timberlake and Andy Samberg. Yeah, she played one of their mothers. I don't know. So, I don't so know. if anybody knows where Susan Sarandon is, please what? tweet in and tell us. Yeah. Find Sarandon. Hashtag find Sarandon. Find Sarandon. Um, um, why does everyone like Judy Dench so why much? Why does everyone like Judy Dench so much? Oh, she's just a national treasure, isn't she? Um, I think it's probably because she's uh, got a lot of dignity. I think she's played so many queens, people think she is the queen. She's got a lot of the same respect that the queen has on yeah. the basis of having played um, queens herself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and why was she never young? Um, uh, horrific disease, which, <laughs> which is born Benjamin Button syndrome. She's actually getting younger. Yeah. She was, she was only born 10 years ago. <laughs> Incredibly old. Yeah. Incredibly old. Incredibly old. Yeah. But she's actually only like 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's... it's going to be a bit of a problem for the best exotic old marigold hotel. Exotic old marigold hotel? The best exotic <laughs> old hotel. Because <laughs> as they keep making the sequel, she's going to look younger and younger. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to start aging her up. Well, that, she'll have to swap roles with Dev Patel. <laughs> And she'll be the youthful exuberant. amazing. And then, like, somewhere in the middle, they're both middle-aged. And then they <laughs> cross. Yeah. You can't see what I'm doing with my fingers there, but they cross paths. Maybe they'll fuck. Maybe they'll fuck. Maybe they'll fuck. <laughs> Good point, Katie. Maybe they'll fuck. Well, I think you've answered Katie all those questions conclusively. Her, her traditional interjection, no matter what the subject matter, maybe they'll fuck. We're always hearing that. Well, that has conclusively dealt with those questions. Um, I have a letter here from Dougal McQueen. Dougal, this is in the context of the Oscars, which we'll discuss um, in tedious detail later. Dougal says, Boyhood charted the painful, joyous, even seemingly mundane moments of a character's adolescence with gentle confidence and wonderful attention to detail. It was peppered with beautifully observed beats and startlingly convincing performances. Birdman was a film about a man who might or might not be Birdman. It's full of straight-off-the-shelf stock characters and unjustified visual metaphors. It's so insubstantial that the third act is lifted from Ratatouille but it's not nearly as fun. You smell like balls, Oscars. In a world in which poverty is eradicated, fairies exist, rainbows are edible, and film chat chooses the Oscar winners, what would you give best picture? Love you. And then he follows that with nine kisses, which I think he would do like this. (laughs) Great Google impression. (laughs) Thanks. Well, boyhood, right? Yeah, we, boy, we would give best picture to Boyhood. Yeah, Boyhood. We would go with the general critical consensus. There was a lot of uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth amongst critics at that particular decision, wasn't there? Yeah, I did some angry tweeting. You did some angry tweeting, and uh, a lot of, you know, Twitter was aflame. Anyway, let's get into that when we discuss the Oscars properly. Let's so, that. one final letter. It says, What ho, chaps? Over billiards last night, my very good friend, the Marquis of Provence, mentioned your podcast. He said you pair of tattlers would be reviewing my documentary about myself and my illustrious lineage. Obviously, this news I was positively hopping with glee, and frankly, every part of me consists entirely of ears as I await your considered remarks. The documentary took me many years to make, and I've dedicated myself to the project with such unbridled passion that half my vineyard looked like a horse's toilet. 
I am on absolute and total tenterhooks. Looking forward to your thoughts. With my fondest wishes and all the rest of it, <laughs> the Duke of Burgundy. <laughs> well, oh, wow. um, your, um, your, <laughs> your dukeness. Du- dukeness? Um, your Burgundy dukeness. I'm afraid uh, yeah, that's a different the Marquis film. of Provence has misled you. Yeah. We are reviewing a different film. It's, it's about two uh, it's, it's lesbians. M- it's about lesbians, um, and it doesn't relate anything to do with... Um, your house. The lineage of the of Burgundy. <laughs> the house of Burgundy is not mentioned. Sorry, so. sorry, Duke. Sorry. Um, not even, even the butterfly for which the film is named plays only a small part. <laughs> <laughs> so apologies for that. Sorry, buddy. But you do sorry. get a signed photo. But you'll get a signed photo. Please write in again. Yeah, we've, had, we've got a bit of a backlog on the signed photos, um, but we'll be dealing with that presently. And um, we're almost out of them, so pretty soon you're going to... St- Start getting something else. Um, yeah, correspondence. God d- knows what it's going to be. Who knows what it'll be? Um, Maybe just a piece of us. Yeah, like a, what? Like that would go with a ransom note or something. <laughs> yeah, like a toe. <laughs> One of our listeners <laughs> will get my toe. Okay. <laughs> and that's the conclusion of the letters section. Goodbye to that. <laughs> Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. Yeah, let's do Oscars first. So it was the Oscars on the weekend. I stayed up and watched it. I got really drunk. Uh, I was like quite drunk by the time they even rolled okay, the Okay, so carpet. when did the Oscars start? They started about one in the morning. And and when did you start drinking? About eight. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really uh, quite jolly by that point. Mm. And um, I was watching <laughs> I was watching a friend's house on the Sky Movies coverage of it. Which, right. uh, the downside of which is that it occasionally cuts back to Alex Zane during the commercial breaks and a panel of increasingly shit. And I mean, his crazy hair and his tiny little ties. Yeah, and like... His tight suits. I think anybody, like any... Serious film journalists are actually covering it for various magazines. They have, or like, they're, the or they're real... in bed. The most serious <laughs> ones, they don't even care. So they just have like a real like bottom of the barrel sort of panel of so-called experts. Mm-hmm. It started off with Alexa Chung, Noel Clark, remember that guy mm. in Kettlehood? The incredible director of 4321. And uh, Boyd Hilton. And they kept on making annoying remarks and I just sort of started slightly hate-twinning them. Yeah. And uh, things, you, things got you, ugly. Things uh, got dark. Became a troll. I became a troll. You turned into that which you hate the most. Yeah, man. Yeah. It got ugly. Basically, so you, called, you called Boyd Hilton a clone of a bell end. Yeah. It's a weird kind of insult. I think I, the clone thing was because he's bald. The what? So clones are bald in uh, movies. <laughs> <laughs> and you just watched the trailer for Hitman or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hitman Agent Forty Seven. And he said something that made it sound like a bit like a bell end. But I regretted calling him a, saying they look like a bellend, you know. I can't insult him for how he looks. That's just mean. But so I can insult him for what he said. So you, you sound like a bellend. Are you saying that you could have tweeted him just saying you look like a clone and that would have <laughs> he would have had to have took from that that it was an insult based on him being bald? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you have just thought that you thought he looked like someone identical to him <laughs> from whom he had been cloned? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what goes off in boy's head. All right, yeah. Anyway, later he uh, expressed that he didn't like Birdman, and I tweeted him that I agreed with him, 
I'd forgotten that I'd insulted him. And then he was like, um, oh, so I'm not a bellend anymore. And then I apologized to him four times yeah. in quick succession. That's quite sweet, really. There's a string of drunken apologies. I was like, really? I felt really bad about it. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. Basically, our dynamic in the podcast is like Eggsy and Colin Firth's character in Kingsman. Before, before this podcast died, when you met me, I was just like a sort of... <laughs> You know, just scum, stealing stuff, like forcing the law. And yeah. you, you know, you civilized me, man. You like taught me how to make a martini and That's not right. troll people. Yeah. But it, without you there, without your civilizing presence and, you know, a few beers in me, I just reverted to my usual. Oh, you've been, you've been picked up yet again for public trolling. And uh, as you were leaving the police station, I was out there in my dinner jacket, <laughs> smoking my pipe and um, swinging my umbrella around like the gentleman I am. Yeah. And uh, I said, Danny, I see something in you. I've read your horrible trolling, and <laughs> although it is despicable and wrong, um, there's a spark of inspiration uh, to your insults, and I think you should sit down across a microphone from me and uh, be more nice. And that is the history of Film Chat. It's a beautiful story. I've been longing to tell it. Yeah. So the Oscars, you, have you watched any of the ceremony? No, I, I did actually stay up a bit late that night, but I wasn't watching the Oscars. I was watching <laughs> John Carter. <laughs> True story. I got a sort of well, late night urge to watch John Carter and I downloaded it and I <laughs> stayed, stayed up till about 2am watching it. So I was caught some of the tweets live, but for the most part I was concentrating on the, the greatest film of the last 10 years. Well, it was, it was quite a bad ceremony. How was Neil Patrick Harris? He wasn't that great. He wasn't that funny. They've did got he, like 12 did he, writers. Did he make any jokes about playing a creepy racist, um, rapist in uh, Gone Girl? Uh, there was one joke. There's like an opening number, musical number, and Anna Kendrick joined him and she made some reference to it. Mm-hmm. And he went, spoiler alert! And everyone laughed. So she didn't like stab him in the throat? and. Well, she made reference to like how he died or whatever. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, Gonga uh, has been spoiled by the Oscar ceremony. Oh dear. And now by us. And now by us. Yeah, it was just a... There was a lot, a lot of issues playing about. A lot of people talking about issues. Patricia Arquette made a speech for yeah, gender it was, equality. it was quite politicised, right? And um, Selma, uh, like, the performance of Selma was followed by an impassioned speech for John Legend talking about how they're more incarcerated African-Americans now than they were in slavery times. Yeah, it's probably it kind of a misleading statistic, perhaps, but... Yeah, but then it just bizarrely segued into the sort of elaborate Sound of Music tribute, Lady Gaga song. Mm-hmm. And poor Scarlett Johansson was um, introducing it. And she was like, 965, the year Martin Luther King made an epic march. Meanwhile, the Sound of Music was out, whatever. And oh, it's God, like, yeah. oh, thank God. Oh, phew. It's getting a bit heavy, Oscars. Yeah. Yeah, who gives a shit about racism when the Sound of Music was out? Yeah, but was the Sound of Music tribute very heavy on the Nazi aspect of the film? It was just like, why are they... It all, didn't it win an Oscar like 50 years ago? Who gives a shit? Why was it? I don't know. Was it, was it an anniversary or something? Or? Yeah, it's 50 years. Okay. But it's like, why? Yeah. This show's already overrun. <laughs> why have a 10-minute Sound of Music tribute? That's quite weird. Um, yeah. And also, as Birdman kept on winning awards, I just got more and more angry. And mm-hmm. just sort of my tweets became less and less comprehensible and just... I uh, just got just died. Yeah, they became more and more incomprehensible, but the as a work of art, it got more valuable. I think. Yeah. It was gibberish, but it, it was genius. <laughs> I was just angry that Birdman won anything. I just think it shouldn't win anything. The Red Mist descended. Sorry, go ahead. I you just, don't like Birdman. I just do not like that film. I liked it. History will absolve me. Yeah. This will be the I crash. Think, I think of, you're all right. You know. I think you're, you're okay now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to wait. You're not like the sort of lone voice of sanity raging as a storm. You know. 
Well, it was like he got he got a kind of a divisive reception. You know, there's plenty of Birdman naysayers. You and Boyd are not the only ones. Me and my good friend Boyd. I think Boyd Hilton only likes Boyhood so much because his name is itself a contraction of the word Boyhood. <laughs> that's my that's my theory. That's my yeah. working theory. I think it's when short he reviewed for Boyhood. It, he just wrote Boydhood. <laughs> that was his whole review. Yeah. It just said Boydhood, and it's just five stars. And a picture of him as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the ceremony, right? It seemed like quite a democratic year. Every film nominated one something. Yeah. There was no... Birdman got all the major categories, it seemed. It was like the whole ceremony was like a compromise, you know? Yeah. No, no one goes away happy. Exactly. I can't... I, I really annoyed me when Imitation Game won Best Screenplay, and I was going to start, like, tweet-hating the guy. When he made this speech about how he tried to kill himself, and, uh, and he, like, Alan Turing's story inspired him, like, not to kill himself. <laughs> so I was like, whoa! Yeah, the BAFTAs got it right. Give it to Boyhood. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad at least it won the BAFTAs. And also, they gave Best Original Screenplay to Grand Budapest Hotel, which right, is a much yeah. better screenplay. Yeah, I read a couple of pieces today about how the Grand Budapest Hotel was uh, looking at the Holocaust in a new way and uh, Nazism and stuff, and it was quite convincing. Yeah. Yeah, when I was watching the time, wasn't like, uh, oh, it's a comment on the Holocaust. And then reading it back, I was like, ah. Do you know why, Sam? That's a film with layers. It does have layers. I'm like Birdman. Yeah. Um, He's I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. On to buy his past, literally. Okay, in other news, the notorious leaker Edward Snowden behind the NSA leaks is receiving the ultimate accolade of having a film made about him by Oliver Stone. Yeah, so he's turned his um, keen political eye to adapting Edward Snowden, and he's got the rights to a couple of books about the Edward Snowden story. And recently there's been some casting news, so we know a few people who are in the movie. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is going to be playing Edward Snowden. What do you think of that? He looks nothing like him. He looks absolutely nothing like him. He's the wrong race, isn't he? (laughs) um, Racially wrong. Well, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is mixed. Is he mixed race? Yeah. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt definitely looks like he is mixed race, but I don't know if he actually is. He looks like he could be sort of one quarter Japanese or something. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Maybe he is. No, is that does that make me sound like a <laughs> like an idiot? <laughs> I think he's standing. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Basically, no Jewish. Is he? But is he like straight Jew, full Jew? Full Jew. He went full Jew. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, he does. He just doesn't look like him, right? But yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt has already played Bruce Willis, so he's playing Edward Snowden. Other cast members include Zachary Quinto, Tom Wilkinson is in it. Um, he's in everything these days. Yeah. Maybe he'll get to do his own accent this time. That'd be great. Recent fans, Shailene Woodley, who was in that like uh, insurgent, divergent, yeah, insurgent, divergent, resurgent, yeah, detergent, D- detergent, and all that stuff. <laughs> um, Timothy Oliphant and Nicholas Cage, the most exciting cast member, Nicholas Cage. Who is Cage going to play? That's the mystery. I think. It, I think. Well, they have mentioned that he's um, playing a CIA agent, but I'm hoping that that's just a front, you know, Putin, and he's actually playing Putin. 
Well, we were discussing this on Facebook, and I still think the best option would be for him to play several characters like he does in Adaptation. Yeah. So I think Greenwald and Putin in a scene where the two of them face off, that would really be the best. And he was in that movie Face Off, so he's got experience facing off against people. That's right. He's um, well-versed in how to face off, so um, that would be my preferred option. Perfect. Anyway, so um, I don't know. I mean, it would probably be... I'm feeling like it might be quite bad. I don't know when the last time Oliver Stone made a film was any good was. Uh. Like ages and ages ago. Yeah, it's been a while. His last movie was Savages, which was savaged <laughs> by the critics. Um, the one for that, Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. Yeah. Felt like the director was asleep when I was watching that particular film. Money Never Sleeps, but obviously he didn't when he was directing the film. <laughs> um, so, that's a film coming out. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it oscar-jingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off So, In Your Eyes, which is written by Joss Whedon and directed by Bryn Hill It's got quite an interesting um, story of his release It premiered at Tribeca Film Festival last year And then immediately went online Because uh, it's produced by Joss Whedon's production company, Bellwether Pictures, which he... Uh, runs with his wife so there's very little press about this movie and it sort of just went online on itunes you could buy it for five dollars i'd never heard of it until you mentioned it to me but now it's recently come onto netflix uk so i figured great time to, to review it absolutely so um is this like another kind of um between avengers side project thing because last time he had a bit of downtime in between his blockbusters um, yeah he did his um much to do about nothing yeah shot that... entirely in his house with all his friends right well yeah this is I think he just wrote the script and then some of the people went off and his uh, wife produced it. So oh, maybe okay. while he was writing about Thor or whatever, his oh, wife see, was yeah. off making this film. So the plot, uh, it's about two people, Rebecca played by Zoe Kazan, who is the rich trophy wife of a doctor in New Hampshire, and Dylan played by Michael Stuhl David, who is a poor ex-con living in New Mexico. There couldn't be more difference. However, for reasons that are never explained, the two share a psychic link which enables them to hear what each other are saying and see through each other's eyes. Oh, I see. So you can so see in your eyes. Unexplained magical device. Precisely. And this connection manifests itself when they were kids, but only really comes into fruition when both the characters are in their 20s and the film is basically their relationship as they start to realise they can hear each other's thoughts okay, and they communicate. So this movie is quite bad. It's really poorly made. It feels like TV movie. And the directing is so perfunctory that it sort of lessens what's already quite ropey script. Right. And I was kind of surprised by how, by how bad the script was. Because Joss, Joss as usual polish. Well, it, yeah, there's a few, like, uh, Whedon-isms in it. But so I did some research and apparently wrote the first draft in 992 when he was 28. And wow. Still, and uh, there is definitely a feeling that the script was just in his drawer and his wife's like, you've got something I can make for, like, a pound. <laughs> He's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> and uh, th- basically, the biggest problem is the central characters aren't good. I mean, like, Joss Whedon has this thing of subverting cliches, but uh, I don't think he got to the subverting bit in his career yet. Yeah, so they just are cliches. Yeah. So he's like the ex-con of a heart of gold. She's the sort of nervous housewife, and they never really extend beyond that. But... I was thinking if this film had been made in 1992, it would be any better because the whole pre-internet idea of a long-term relationship where you can see what someone else is seeing is quite interesting. But now we have Skype, so Mm -hmm. who gives a shit? Yeah, I mean, we we have the technology (laughs) to replicate the device in the film. Yeah, it's not that special anymore. Yeah, you just call someone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know. There are, like, some fun ideas in it. It's basically, like, the whole 
sort of plot device of this, seeing someone else's uh, vision and hearing the what they're saying, etc. It's basically, it's like that movie where one of the characters is a ghost. Or one of the characters, you know, there's lots of scenes where well, there's one when someone's on a blind date and someone giving them advice, yeah, etc., yeah, etc. Yeah. Et but I feel like that stuff has just been done to death now. Yeah. And the way it's directed is that the director has like this tin ear for comedy. So it's all shot in wides and mids and just looks so fucking cheap. Uh, it's like, no one's really trying to make this a good film. It's supposed to be these two different characters and their different perspectives, but the whole film looks like it was just shot in an afternoon yeah. in someone's home. But, you know, there's no... tossed off. Yeah, exactly. There's no, like, real effort. No one's steering the ship. I mean, there are, like, there are some fun ideas in that, like, when Dylan realises that the Rebecca characters can see his life, he sort of makes an effort to sort of clear up his apartment and stuff. Right, yeah. And there's some sort of fun yeah, stuff nice, in it. Yeah. But I think, like, the success of a movie like that is how much it explores the sort of what if scenario is there a scene where one of them takes a shit <laughs> no well i'm not seeing it that's, that's but a, like i've written it off now this is a this is no way a good comparison i'm gonna make it just because i saw it on tv the other day <laughs> <laughs> here's an irrelevant comparison it does not illustrate my well, point but i saw this maybe, on tv the other day maybe you can get this out but i was watching like one of the good things about groundhog day which i saw recently for the a billion of time is that it really like milks that premise for all it's worth, yeah. and you don't leave that movie thinking, "Oh, what would I do if I did it?" Because Bill Murray does it all. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in this movie, it's like that the whole uh, idea of having like a sort of just a second body you can always communicate with isn't really explored and not isn't exhausted, you know. Right, yeah. And it feels like it's just sort of like half an idea. It feels very first drafty. Mm. So it's like. You know, there's probably a lot more you could have done with that concept, but maybe just the budget just means they just all they do is just chat. I don't know. You know, there's like so much more stuff you could do with that. Yeah, definitely. And, then, and it never really goes anywhere. Yeah, I mean, especially because if all they do is chat all the time, that's the bit that seems like the least relevant to the modern age when people are constantly communicating over long distances yeah. every day. There is one bit where she's getting her car fixed, and then the uh, Dylan realizes that the guy's swindling her, and then because he's a bloke, you know, he just like tells her to fix the car. Um, the leads are quite good, I gotta say. Michael Stuhl David is the guy from Cloverfield. He's the lead in Cloverfield. Oh, okay, yeah. And he's got, got quite a sort of easy charisma about him. Makes the most of his, you know, yeah. handsome man who's done wrong trying to go straight character. You've seen it a million times. Zoe Kazan is lumbered with like a really poorly written part. She's, she's just, very likable, though, isn't she? Yeah. Basically, she's not really a character, just more like a fringe and some big eyes. Like, just sort of stares at stuff soulfully, looks a bit sad. Mm. And that's pretty much her character. I felt kind of bad for her. They're trying to do their best, but it's just, it's just not. There's nothing there, you know. It's like there's the only reason this movie got made is because uh, Joss Whedon wrote it. But it's like he should have taken another pass of the script. Maybe you feel the fact that it's only public releases on iTunes is kind of indicative that people weren't like this will set the world on fire. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of hoping it was going to be like a hidden gem, but it was hidden for a reason. Yes. So don't uh, watch this film, though it is free. So you can watch it on Netflix. Yes. So that is a um, recommendation not to watch a film, which very few people will have heard of um, before listening to the podcast. It's been a slow film week, guys. <laughs> not a lot's come out. I wanted to go see Love is Strange, but I didn't get the chance to. She's at right, that's enough now. Back to film chat. 
film I saw this week is called The Duke of Burgundy. It's a art house indie British film that's generated quite a lot of buzz lately. It's got extremely positive reviews, and uh, which is kind of remarkable given that when you sort of hear about the movie, you think this is going to be incredibly divisive, but yeah. it's actually been quite universally praised. What's the plot, Sam? The film charts the ups and downs in the relationship of two women who are living in what seems to be some kind of European castle in the 70s. And half of the movie, they spend their time in sort of kinky bondage sex games with each other. And the rest of the time, they're attending lectures about crickets and butterflies. <laughs> I think that's a pretty accurate <laughs> summation of the action of the and film. And if that doesn't make you want to go see the yeah, film, I mean, <laughs> what will? Come on. Yeah, it's, it's sort of... Uh, it's one of those movies which just seems absolutely ludicrous when you describe it. Yeah. But I wasn't, when, after I watched it, I wasn't 100% sure what to make of it. But yeah. I've read a few reviews since then and mulled it over and uh, decided that I really, really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I really think it was great. Yeah, and Danny, you've seen it, right? I've seen it. I thought it was pretty good. I've got some reservations about it. Okay. Well, well I'll, you don't. Let me wax <laughs> lyrical about it and then sure. we can you know, lock horns over uh, yeah, what yeah. you didn't like. It, the film is incredibly stylized um, and is kind of it, it's obviously very meticulously referencing a ton of films that I have not seen. It's yeah. all this kind of 70s like softcore porn like Euro. Euro art house thing. Yeah. And I have no experience with that. So, I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't really you know, I feel like that sort of thing is kind of lost on me. The whole credit sequence is obviously a very artfully done pastiche of something, but I don't, I don't know <laughs> But it's very like it's a very very carefully composed movie, and there's a lot of musical montages and a lot of very slow camera pans and everything like that. And yeah. one of the things that I really liked about the film is that um, all of those devices make it seem like it's going to be this like deadly serious um, art house fair, yeah. but it's actually quite humorous. And I was listening to the review by Robbie Collins. Um, who's stepping in for Kermode, and he told an anecdote about meeting the director, Peter Strickland, after he made his previous film, Barbarian Sound Studio, and asking him what his next project would be, and um, Peter Strickland replied that he was making a kind of romantic comedy. Yeah. Um, And you won't see much press describing this movie as romantic (laughs) comedy, but I was quite glad to hear that because I was laughing a lot in the movie. Yeah. And I was definitely laughing with it and not at it. Yeah. Like, it is provoking you into laughter a lot and i think once you realize at the beginning that it's not taking itself entirely seriously then all the sort of like this sort of bizarre languid dreamlike atmosphere and slightly sort of silly and like weird action that happens on screen uh becomes a lot more powerful because you understand that like it's coming with this kind of knowing air to it the other thing that i think is, uh, is is interesting about it is the um the relationship between the two central characters uh, that is the sort of focus of the movie. It's um, particularly the sexual relationship. And for a film which is so composed and um, could seem just like cold or just like a music video with no personality to it or anything, yeah. it's surprisingly tender and um, delicately drawn, their relationship, and kind of interesting. And also surprisingly relatable. For a movie set in a sort of what is obviously a fantasy land, but by the way, there's no men in the film whatsoever. Yeah. And not only are there no men, there's no, not even a mention of men. So you kind of get the impression that they live in some alternate universe where men just like do not exist. <laughs> like once you start to see through this prism, and you're like, what? Like, what place is this? Like there's no one around them. They've got like a couple of neighbors living in this sort of castle. 
all they do is go to these like lecture academic lectures where they talk about crickets and butterflies <laughs> and they're always like packed out so you're like oh i see they live in a world where this is the most interesting thing yeah, to everyone standing everyone. room only yeah the standing room only was it yeah. lepidopterists um, lepidopterists Lepidopter are butterfly enthusiasts yeah and also um, you wonder whether this is a universe where everyone is into the same kind of like kinky bondage sex the main characters are there's a there's a great scene where they are visited by um, a woman who makes like bespoke like bondage equipment. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to buy a sort of exciting bed from her, and you don't really understand what this bed is, but it like yeah. it springs up and it closes down or it does something, and it sounds really great. And then uh, they want to get it, but the woman's like, it takes eight weeks. You know, this is one of our most popular items, and it's like that's <laughs> flying off the shelves. So <laughs> like, what even is it? So I, I, I like that it's... I've wandered very, very far from my original point, but <laughs> this kind of strange universe that the film is set in is totally otherworldly and bizarre, but yeah. somehow the relationship between the two characters is is um, highly relatable because it's all about um, the kind of balance of power. And um, in some ways, I think the fact that it's about a lesbian relationship almost makes it more universal because the relationship doesn't come with any like preconceived yeah. baggage or notions about um, masculine and feminine roles and relationships. Yeah, yeah, completely. They're, they're, you, like, what they're up to, like, you're not looking at it through that prism of, like, what the man is doing and what the woman is doing. It's just these two women, so that's quite a fresh way yeah. of looking at it. Yeah, I don't know, it's very striking. The soundtrack is amazing. The soundtrack is by this band called Cat's Eyes. It's all this kind of, like, um, spooky, eerie music and, like, Baroque instrumentation with harpsichords and... Um, yeah kind of ethereal female singing and like i don't know it kind of captured me and yeah. it's beautifully shot and yeah i liked it liked you it very much it. danny over to me over to you i had a well i, I watched this film today maybe i'll wait up tomorrow and be like that was a masterpiece what was i talking about <laughs> but you're like me you know 12 hours ago yeah yeah maybe we should just review it every 12 hours <laughs> i don't know i the whole sort of very literal bdsm thing of it's just a metaphor for all relationships. In all relationships, people are playing roles. You've got to, like, make compromises, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. I was like, I don't know. I think it only went so far for me. I felt like a bit. It was all kind of subtext, no text. And my biggest problem was I thought the one of the actresses, the woman from Borgen, yeah, yeah. I thought she was really great. But I uh, really didn't like the other actress. I thought she was really bad in it. Really? Like, I've, like... Because basically, there's, the movie Kiara starts. Diana. There's a sort of ongoing tension in the movie. It's like, when are they role playing, and when are they being real? Should we? Should we? Exp- I think I feel like we haven't explained enough right, for that okay. to make any sense. But basically, um, the the way the movie starts is um, that this woman is coming to the other woman's house, and she's like a maid, and the woman who's the mistress of the house is incredibly like, cruel, mean to her, and then it uh, is revealed in the next scene that this is like a kind of sex role play game that the two of them are playing. Yeah, and the way that that's kind of subverted in the movie is that it becomes clear that the submissive person in the game is the more dominant person in the relationship. Yeah. Right. Precisely. But, like, the movie starts off with... Uh, establishes its characters when they're playing roles. Yeah. And then you're supposed to learn... Who, who they, they are. Who they, who they are. And I think you definitely get a sense from that from since a... I've forgotten her name already. Knudsen. Knudsen's uh, character. Be, yeah. But the other one... I felt there was something about because she I'm not sure what nationality is but she's got Italian. this Italian Italian like, because there's Italian very accented 
uh, English speaking voice and some of her lines were very mannered the whole movie is very mannered mm. and even in the scenes where they're like arguing I thought like oh is she acting and then like afterwards like oh no that was the real scene and so her performance took it out like I couldn't really I wasn't really interested in their relationship. Mm, interesting, okay. Also, I just, I think BDSM, maybe it's like video games, you know, they're, they're good if you're playing them, but it's boring to watch someone else do it. And just all the look in a box, how the box, I found a bit boring after a while. There's all these shots of bugs, you know, everything's been pinned on the wall. Yeah, yeah. It's a metaphor for something. Well, there's a there's some very, very heavy symbolism in the movie involving um, butterflies and insects, which there's a lot of shots of, but I don't really know what it was getting yeah, at. Yeah, I mean, like, it was so, it was beautifully composed, and I, I enjoyed watching it, but leaving the cinema, I didn't feel like I'd, there was much to it. I thought, I took it as, like, a more playful film than that, I think. I don't think it was, like, trying to... Like, I don't think it was trying to say a ton, and I also, I don't think that it was all subtext either. I think it was just, like... It, I don't think, you know, the director was, like... I, I think that the best way to show relationship between two people is to put them in a European castle and, like, have only one gender and, you know, make them really into BDSM or anything. Yeah. I, I think it was just that that was the world in which he'd set his film, and, like, that was the subject matter of the movie, you know? Did you find it funny? I like in parts, not really. To be honest with you, I think it's too weird. It's too arch. It was like a funny script, like performed by people thinking they're in a drama. That's what. That's sort of you know. I liked it. I liked that, and I don't know. It's really. It's really sort of stuck with me. It's um, yeah. It's, it's continues to continues to to march over. I even bought the soundtrack today. I've been listening to that. Yeah. So, I recommend it. Danny, do you would you what? With yeah, I'm glad or? I've seen it, yeah. but I I don't really I don't know. I feel like I've I've seen it. I don't I, know. Yeah. I don't feel like I think I've got everything out of it. I was gonna get out of it. I want to see Barbarian Sound Studio. His other one, that one, apparently very good. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton. She was up with her dog, and we got talking. I asked her what she does when she isn't acting. She said she likes podcasts for relaxing. Imelda, when you're in the mood. What do you listen to? She said, I listen to one podcast, I listen to one podcast, but the ones can kiss my ass, because I listen to one podcast. Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat. Um, hi everyone, breaking film chat news. Uh, we just had a little break, we've eaten some pizza, and Danny's had an incredible uh, realisation. <laughs> Well, uh, there's a new Will Smith movie out this end of the week called Focus, where yeah, he plays a sexy con man. It's like Hitch meets The Sting. And in it, there's a bit in the trailer where he says, there are two kinds of people, hammers and nails, yeah. which is obviously a reference to El Condor Passa by Simon and Garfunkel. Here's Will Smith saying that line now. There's two kinds of people in this world. There's hammers and nails. And here's Simon and Garfunkel singing that line now. I'd rather be a hammer than a nail. Yes, I would. So I was like, maybe Will Smith's a big Simon and Garfunkel fan. Yeah, maybe he's always trying to get Simon and Garfunkel references into his movies. He played a boxer. There's a Simon and Garfunkel song called The Boxer. Let's listen to it. Great. (laughs) And uh, he played Ali. Yeah. Right? Uh, there's that, uh, the, the Simon Garfunkel song, Only Living Boy in New York. 
he was the only living man in I Am Legend. In, in New York. In New York. Yeah. That's uh, Keep the customer satisfied is like the ethos of Hitch. <laughs> <laughs> is this all from that one album? It's a big... Uh... <laughs> um, uh... <laughs> Isn't his character an iRobot called Mrs. Robinson? <laughs> <laughs> it's also true. Um, We're still working on the theory. I am a rock. <laughs> he, was an, he was an he was an he was an eye robot. Yeah, I am a robot. <laughs> I am a rock. Has no connection, unfortunately. Struggling a little bit. The, the um, theory's drying up a little bit. The 59th Street Bridge song. Well, Cloudy. That's... Homeward bound. Yeah, I was trying to. Yeah, is there any movie where he's like uh, going home? Um, Enemy of the State. Is that what he's trying to do? No, Trying to get to his family-ish. An enemy of this state, he's trying to get to his family. Which is exactly like the Simon Garfunkel song, Homeward Bound. It's just und- undeniable. He's not, he's not like a, a juvenile taxi, he's not like a baby driver or anything. He's like some kind of baby, <laughs> baby driver of some kind. Plays a, a child vehicle operator in a, in a film. That... <laughs> well, he certainly has driven cars in films. Okay, let's wrap this up. No, there's more. There's more. America. What about it? Many of Will Smith's films are set in America. And America is a brilliant song by Simon and Garfunkel. Save the life of my child? Isn't that like all just... Uh, Save the life of my child. Uh, in uh, Independence Day, he's got a kid. He's... No, he's got a, yeah, it's not his kid. Oh, in the pursuit of happiness. He's got a child in Anthony. He's trying to look after him, isn't he? Yes. Well, I just... I mean... It's undeniable, isn't it? The I've really caught on to something here. Yeah, you have. Absolutely. Will Smith loves Simon and Garfunkel. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. <laughs> That's all we've... Incredibly, we've run out of time. <laughs> I'm pretty like, sure there's some more here, Sam. Just give uh, me a few moments. We've, uh, it's been a remarkably tight knit. He was in that movie Seven Pounds. Professionally. And I'm pretty sure the baby driver weighed seven pounds. <laughs> um... Once again, it's been delightful <laughs> recording this episode of Film Chat. I've had a good time. Have you yeah. enjoyed it, Danny? I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it a lot. Right, okay, well, bye now. Bye. Bye, bye listeners. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Boom, boom, boom. Do Shake the room. Do that again. I did it already. It's all the Dougal kisses. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mwah, 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 mwah. 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 Mwah